Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to gather here today. Lord, I think about what David said in Psalm 27 when he said, One thing I have asked of the Lord and I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his beauty and to meditate in the house of the Lord. And so, God, as we come together today, we just pray that you would open our eyes to behold your beauty, that we would see you as more glorious as the result of our time together. Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be renewed, that we would not be conformed to the world, but that we would, in fact, be changed. And we can only do this if you allow us to, Lord. We ask for your Holy Spirit to help us. Uh, Be with us now as we turn to your word, and I ask that you would be with me, Lord, as I speak. Help me to speak rightly of you. May you be exalted in all that we do and in our time together today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so by way of starting... Raise your hand if you were able to attend GBF camp this past week. Wow, that is what I like to see. There are hands in the room. And so if you're visiting or maybe uh, you've considered going to GBF camp before and you just haven't been able to make it work logistically, you haven't been able to get the family up there, I would just encourage you before you leave at some point today to talk to someone who raised their hand about their experience. GBF camp is one of those wonderful times where you get to interact on a deeper level with those people that you just see on an everyday Sunday in passing, and you're like, hey, wow, it's great to see you. Man, we never get a chance to talk. Okay, we'll try to get together. And GBF Camp is one of those practical, wonderful ways that we can come together as a body and to get to know each other better. And I can think of people within the church that I have formed really wonderful relationships with here at GBF through my time at GBF camp. And so I would encourage you down the road sometime to take advantage of that. And with that being said, I'd like to begin today talking about one of my experiences from GBF camp this year that I feel relates a little bit to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I, in my personal life, I, I, cultivate um, my walk with Christ, uh, one of the tools that helps me is a personal prayer journal. And so I, I keep a journal. I pray for other people. I pray for uh, the things that are going on in my life. And it's a great way for me to grow in my love for Christ. It's also a great way to look back and to reflect on God's goodness, to see the prayers that he's faithfully answered, to see the things that haven't been answered yet that I need to keep praying about. And so this has been a wonderful tool for me uh, just in my personal devotional life to help cultivate my walk with Christ. And and I have many years, at this point, five years now, of journal entries from GBF camp. It's just a wonderful opportunity. Your cell phone doesn't work. You can't get any service. And you're in the mountains with believers and the Lord. And what a wonderful time to spend time in the morning in Bible reading and prayer. And so I'd actually like to read for you today uh, an example entry. This is something that I journaled last year just to kind of give you a little insight into what that process looks like. And so this comes to us from July 1st of 2017. I try to begin every Bible entry, uh, every prayer entry here with a Bible verse. And so I picked Psalm 119, 151 to 152. And it says, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. And then I go on to pray, Father, thank you that in these early morning hours, you are near to your children. 
Bless our time together that we may ever grow closer. Thank you for being the source of truth and that you have given us your word that we may know the truth. Forever, O Lord, is your word firmly fixed in the heavens and my heart knows it well. Forgive me of my sins and protect me from the evil one. Lead me in the everlasting way and help me to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Humble my heart that I may be more like Christ. Teach me from your word that I may grow in wisdom and teach others of your magnificent majesty. Strengthen me, O Lord, for I am weak and of no account. Father, I pray over camp today and ask that you bless it and make it a wonderful time of fellowship with the saints. Give me strength to lead and provide a great camp experience for everyone. Bless everyone with safe travels on the way up and give them rest in their hearts to leave their anxieties at the foot of the cross. I pray for JR as he brings the devotional messages. May your truth impact those who hear. I pray for Lauren and the kitchen team. Bless them as they prepare the meals. I pray most of all for Emily, who is my now wife. Uh, Would you bless her with opportunities to meet and to get to know more people? That you would bless her with chances to serve joyfully for your glory. Help us to enjoy one another's company as we serve the body. May all that we do be done for your glory. And I love having a record of my prayers and the things that are on my heart, because then when you look back, you have a record of God's faithfulness and it just, it fills my heart with great joy. And so we fast forward to this year camp went wonderfully It's my fifth year co-leading with Bob and Lauren and uh, some other wonderful people who help. And it was a wonderful time. And, and as the years go on, I find that I'm growing in my ability to manage camp and to make good calls when we have activities and referee the games. And, and it's been really enjoyable. And I'd say for me, this was the smoothest year of camp so far. Uh, and so it was a wonderful time. And as we were closing up camp, we got everything packed up. Emily and I got into the car. We were driving home. We talked all the way home about uh, the friendships that we made or the things that we learned about people and the great time that we had. And we pull into home and we unload all of our stuff and we're going to get ready for bed. And I, before I can settle into the home, I, I look and... I realized there was a very important part of my preparation that I got wrong this year. Sitting on the table, believe it or not, was my prayer journal. Uh, It didn't make the trip up to camp this year. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but it communicated a very real message to me. And that is that I missed opportunities to pray. Leaving my journal behind was one reminder that I neglected the priority of coming before the Lord in prayer each morning at camp and praying for the day, praying for those who are serving, praying for those who are attending. And no matter how good we get each year at preparing to run GBF camp, how smoothly the games go, how wonderful the food is, the changes we make to improve the experience and the fellowship that is had, we can never stop depending upon God in prayer. The Apostle Paul understood this principle better than most, especially when it came to the most important discipline. And that is living for Christ. Because Paul understood that living for Christ is actually impossible apart from prayer. And we get a good example of this in all of his letters. I thank JR for reading something from Philippians. Uh, He begins, Paul begins almost every letter that he wrote by talking about his prayer life and the things that he was praying about. 
And when you read the prayers of Paul, there seems to be a common theme, especially in the letters that are addressed to people, and that is that Paul is constantly in prayer for other believers. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and a pastor, Paul was passionate about the progress of the gospel and those who were being saved through faith in Christ. Paul also understood that prayer was one of the means that God has ordained for the sanctification and the growth of his people. And so Paul models for us in this passage what is to be one of our greatest priorities as followers of Christ, and that is prayer for other believers. With that being said, let's turn to the text together. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today, so if you'd open there, starting in verse 9. I'll be reading from the NASB. Paul begins in verse 9 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The title of my sermon today is Pray for Other Believers. There are no commands in this text here that's a bunch of indicatives, which just tells us reality. He's telling us about what he's doing. But if we had to summarize these verses, and if there was sort of an implied command, it was pray for other believers. The reason we know this is because Paul tells the Colossians that he has not stopped praying for them. And it is his desire that the Colossians follow in his example by praying for other believers. And that brings us to our first point right off the bat, which is pray for other believers without ceasing. As believers, we need to be praying for other believers without ceasing. Paul models this in the beginning of verse 9. He says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. The verb here that Paul uses is in the present tense, which just means that it is an ongoing practice. Paul prays for other believers on a regular basis. Now, if we were to open up just to verse 9, say we just played Bible roulette and we opened our Bible as we do sometimes, and what am I going to read today? And we landed in Colossians 1.9, it would be natural to ask a question like, what was it that Paul heard of that motivated his prayer for the Colossians? And thankfully, like most of Scripture, all of Scripture, I'd say, context determines the meaning, and the answer to that question is found in the verses that come immediately before And so just so that we have the context, I'll summarize verses 3 through 8 for you. Epaphras, who is a faithful minister of the gospel and an acquaintance of the apostle Paul, delivered the news to Paul and Timothy of the work of God that was going on in Colossae. The gospel had been faithfully proclaimed. There was a positive response to the gospel, and people were being saved through faith in Christ. And not only were people being saved, but the ministry of the word in Colossae was bearing fruit and increasing. And there was a genuine love for the saints among those 
who believed. Upon hearing the news, Paul ceaselessly gave thanks to God for his great work of salvation that was evident in the saints of Colossae, even though he had never personally met them. That's huge. And if the Colossians were to follow in Paul's example, they would not only ceaselessly thank God for the progress of the gospel that was happening in their midst, but also they would thank God for the progress of the gospel happening all over the world, which Paul references there. But Paul's prayers for the Colossians don't stop with thanksgiving. He gives even more information about his prayers for them. So he continues in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, namely their salvation and all of the genuine effects of the gospel that are outlined in verses 3 through 8, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. And that brings us to our second point, and that is pray for other believers to be filled. Because Paul specifically prays that the Colossian believers would be filled. It's a significant part of Paul's prayer on their behalf. And so we have to ask practically for us, what does it mean to be filled? What does it mean to be filled? First, the process of being filled is a passive one. The Greek verb is in the passive voice. And grammatically, that just means that we are not the ones filling ourselves, but rather we are the ones receiving the filling. I'll give you an example of this. An active voice would be, I hit the ball. We are the one performing the action, whereas the passive voice would be, the ball hit me. That, of course, would be unfortunate. If you've ever been hit by a ball, you know that's not the greatest of things. Uh, but that would be passive. We are receiving the action. And in this context, and three more times throughout the passage, Paul is going to use the passive voice to describe the effects that only God can produce in the lives of people. And when only God can do something or produce something in us, Paul is committed to praying and asking that he would actually do it. Okay, so that first, the, the being filled is a passive process. Second, being filled is more than just receiving something. Throughout my life, I have heard many analogies on what it means to be filled. And probably the most common one is the analogy of water being poured into a glass. And it goes a little bit like this. We are empty glasses, and God graciously fills us up by pouring water into our, into our glass. And then the presence of that water in our glass now makes us full. We have peace. We have perspective. We have joy. We have all whatever it may be. Now, I don't necessarily think that's a bad analogy, but I want to encourage you that in this context, being filled is much more than just receiving something from God. Being filled in this context does mean that there is something that you lack, but it also means that whatever you receive will have a controlling influence over the things that you do in the way that you live. This concept of being filled is similar to Paul's exhortation to believers in Ephesians 5.18, where he says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Because the reality is when you are drunk with wine, it has a controlling influence over the way that you live, the choices that you make, the things that you say, the way that you feel, the way that you act, and so on. So instead of being filled with something that is going to influence your life in a negative way, something that diminishes your effectiveness as a witness for Christ, 
Rather, be filled with something that is going to influence your life in a positive way. Something that is going to increase your effectiveness as a witness for Christ and as a steward of the gospel of life. The most positive influence, of course, would be the spirit of God and the fruit that it produces in the lives of believers. And so that gives us a more full picture of what it means to be filled. All right. So now that we have talked a little bit about what it means to be filled, we need to know what it is that Paul desires the Colossian church to be filled with. Let's take a look at verse nine again. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul desires believers to be filled with a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so let's break that down a little. First, the knowledge of God's will refers to that which is gloriously and sufficiently revealed in scripture so that the people of God will have everything that they need for a life of godliness. Okay. The knowledge of God's will refers to that which is gloriously and sufficiently revealed in scripture so that the people of God will have everything that they need for a life of godliness. Second, spiritual wisdom is the knowledge of the principles contained within scripture. Spiritual wisdom is the knowledge of the principles contained within scripture. And then lastly, spiritual understanding is the ability to comprehend those principles in a way that they can then be applied to your life. Spiritual understanding is the ability to comprehend those principles in a way that they can then be applied to your life. Now, I believe there is a tendency in certain denominations, especially in reformed doctrinally sound churches like Grace Bible Fellowship, to give a big hearty amen to being filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I would also give a hearty amen to that truth as long as it is clear that we understand what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that he desires the Colossians merely to grow in their knowledge of what scripture says. The Pharisees remain a permanent example of what the mere pursuit of knowledge can produce in the lives of zealous people. Rather, God's people need the spiritual wisdom and understanding that they are being filled with to have a controlling influence over their lives because we are called not to be hearers of the word only people who are deceived about their true spiritual condition, but rather effectual doers of the word so that we may be blessed in what we do. And this is evident here in what is going to be my final point over the last couple of verses, which represents the purpose of being filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that is pray for other believers to walk worthy. Pray for other believers to walk worthy. Let's start again in verse nine. It says, for this reason, also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The reason Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding is not so that they can win debates about doctrines 
or boast in their knowledge of Scripture. Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. It makes people prideful. And prideful people cannot glorify God because they are primarily consumed with their own glory and not with the glory of the Lord. Rather, Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they will do something. And that something is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When Paul uses the word walk, it's a word that we use on a, sometimes on a daily basis. Walking refers here to the pattern of a person's life, how they conduct themselves on a regular basis. And while the council of scripture has a great deal to say about what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, I love the way that this text defines it for us. Look at verse 10 again. It says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means to live in such a way that you are pleasing to Christ in every area of your life. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Amen. May the Lord bless us all with a desire to live in that way. Now, walking in a manner worthily of the Lord is a comprehensive task. Paul goes on in chapter three to say, uh, he restates the idea again by saying, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And while there are many things that we could say about what it means to walk in a worthy manner, Paul gives us some specific ways in which we can do that or realize that we are doing that already. Let's read verses 10 through 12 to get the rest of them. Starting in verse 12, or sorry, verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so as you probably guessed by now, the main verb of this section is to walk. He's concerned about the believers walk. And there are four main evidences that are listed here that are indicative of a worthy walk. And just before we list them all on an additional note, all four of these evidences are in the present tense. That means that they need to be happening on a continuing ongoing basis. You never stop doing this. It, it never ceases. It always keeps going. It's continuous. So we are to walk in a worthy manner by bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, and joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's break those down a little. Let's take a, a moment to talk about each one of those. First, let's talk about bearing fruit in every good work. I love the analogy of bearing fruit because it beautifully captures the balance between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Because in order for fruit to grow, if you've ever planted tomato plants or you've ever planted a garden, you know this, man must work. He must plant the seed in good soil. 
He must care for the tree. He must water the tree. He must prune the tree when it gets too big. He even has to protect the tree from harsh weather conditions. I learned this sort of a funny way. Uh, my grandfather lives in northern Arizona, and he has an orchard at his house. We have about 20 apple trees. And whenever there was a freeze warning, he would go out and cover all of our trees with bed sheets. Now, when I was a child, I thought this was just the silliest thing ever, to come to Grandpa's house. It's a little cold outside. We brought our winter clothes, and lo and behold, there are my cowboy bed sheets all over the tree. I said, like, Grandpa, why are my bed sheets all over that tree? We're treating the trees like people now? It just it didn't make sense to me. But you will quickly learn that if you don't protect the trees in the midst of a freeze, you're not going to receive any fruit. And so it is important that the man works towards the goal of fruit bearing. However, the most profound thing about fruit is that man can do all of the right things. You can do all those things we talked about. You can plant the seed in the soil. You can throw the cowboy bed sheets over the apple tree. And yet man has no ability to actually produce the growth of the tree or of the fruit on that tree because that ability belongs only to the God who created all things. Scripture is clear on this issue. Jesus says in John 15 that no fruit can be produced apart from a relationship with him. Paul later goes on to affirm it in 1 Corinthians 3, stating that men have been called to plant and to water, but it is God alone who produces the growth. And similar to the process of being filled, which we saw earlier was a passive process, receiving the action. Here, the verb for bearing fruit is also in the passive voice meaning that we are not the ones doing the action, but we're receiving the action. So God alone causes fruit to be produced. And so that sort of brings about a natural question. Austin, if God alone causes fruit to be produced, how does he do that then in the life of a believer? It's a good question. And the answer is that God produces fruit through the indwelling Holy Spirit. When a believer submits to God's word in obedience, the Holy Spirit is able to produce fruit in their life. And it's important to remember that every believer has the spirit of God living inside them, which means that as a result, they are able, they have the ability to walk in obedience and to bear fruit. In the same way, unbelievers do not have the spirit of God living inside them. And as a result, they are unable to walk in obedience and to bear spiritual fruit. Therefore, we must pray for believers in this way, that spiritual wisdom and understanding will consistently compel the believers that we are praying for to submit to God's word, and that as they do, God will produce fruit in them, real, evident, tangible, visible, observable fruit. And so that's bearing fruit. Second, we need to be increasing in the knowledge of God. In order to walk worthy, we must increase in the knowledge of God. And this time, the knowledge of God refers to just that, a true knowledge of who God is from Scripture. And you might be thinking, Austin, that goes against what you just said earlier about having knowledge. See, Paul actually thinks it's important that I store up knowledge about God in a continuous, ongoing basis. And I would say that it is true that spiritual growth cannot happen apart from a true knowledge of God and his word. I would never deny that. However, here again, we are helped by the voice of the verb. 
it is also in the passive voice, meaning that God must reveal himself and make it effectual within a person in order for it to be of any value. My eighth grade history professor uh, was, he was a non-believer. He just, he was a faithful guy, lawyer, worked for a long time, and then sold his practice and decided he wanted to teach eighth grade history because he loved the Civil War. And so he used to say, it is possible to store the brain with a million facts and still be an idiot. And I heard it the first time. I'm like, what? Say what? Like, what are you talking A million facts? You know how many zeros are behind a million? But I think there's some real truth to that. Because the reality is you can know that you can know the Bible backwards and forwards. You could even memorize the whole thing. as The Pharisees did. But apart from God's illuminating work in your life, your knowledge will never help you walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Because increasing in the knowledge of God was never something that was intended or created or is not even possible to be obtained by natural ability. It is only accessible through spiritual enablement. God himself must bless our efforts, which is why we should pray for other believers and for ourselves and pray with the psalmist when we intercede that God would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from his law. That's increasing in the knowledge of God. Thirdly, strengthened, or you could say being strengthened with power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. In order to walk worthy, we have to be strengthened with power. We cannot do it in our own strength. And this is the third consecutive verb in the passive voice, which again indicates that it is something that God must do. It is God who does the strengthening. We are strengthening according, uh, according to, or you could say, with the strength that comes from God and his glorious might. And the purpose right here for which we are being strengthened in this context is so that we will have steadfastness and patience in any circumstance, especially in the midst of suffering. Paul told the Philippians that it is the will of God that believers suffer for the sake of the gospel. And here in America, we're blessed to live in a country where we can openly practice our religion without threat of uh, death. And unfortunately, that is not true for a large portion of the world. At the moment, we have brothers and sisters who are fighting for their lives. They are facing great persecution, even to the point of death, because of their love for Christ and their faithfulness to proclaim him as their Lord, regardless of the cost. If you're ever looking for a verse or a passage to encourage you to pray for the persecuted church around the world, this would be a great one. They need strength. Therefore, we must prayerfully ask God to strengthen our brothers and our sisters in Christ, that they will have steadfastness and patience even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Lastly, Walking worthy of the Lord means joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In order to walk worthy, we must regularly express our thanksgiving to God. And here we have a little bit of a change. This verb is in the active voice now, which means that it is something that we do and something that we are responsible for on a regular, ongoing basis. Because the truth of the gospel is that even in the face of the most severe trials, born-again believers never experience a moment of new birth 
in which they have nothing to be thankful to God for. Amen? In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us that it is the will of God for us in Christ to give thanks in everything. And now it's, it's common knowledge, and we could perceive, that the degree of one's thanksgiving is directly related to the value of the gift received. Let me give you an example. When somebody holds the door open for me at the supermarket, I am genuinely but casually thankful i might say oh hey thanks you know give him a little wave like or thumbs up or like a head nod you know like the solid like yes i'm thankful uh but when somebody gives me an unexpected large check for my birthday i am very thankful wow well am i am i reading those zeros correctly that is so generous thank you very much thank you and so in order to remind believers the degree to which they should be thankful Paul gives them valuable information about the Father that, if understood properly, will cause them to give immediate thanksgiving. God the Father, through Christ, has qualified believers to share in an eternal inheritance. Isn't that amazing? What a gift. Therefore, we must never lose sight of the value of the gospel praying and giving thanks to God for his amazing work of salvation in Christ that we have received. These four evidences, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, and joyfully giving thanks, they are not the only things that are indicative of a believer and the experiences that they will have in a worthy walk, but they are signs that should be present in the life of every believer which is why Paul prays so fervently. When these things are prayerfully happening on a regular basis, believers will experience the joy of a worthy walk in the sight of God, regardless of their current circumstances. Finally, and I love what Ernan said about when a pastor says, finally, he's like, there's 30 minutes left. So that's, so if you're keeping track, that's, that'll help you catch your bearings there. Finally, there are two more verses that we have failed to cover with any depth. If you are reading the NASB, you might have verses 13 and 14 separated into a new paragraph, focusing on the incomparable Christ. And while Christ is most certainly the central focus of the verses to come, verses 13 and 14 are actually grammatically connected back to the Father in verse 12, which is why I believe the ESV starts a new paragraph break. At verse 15, let's read both of these verses together. Actually, let's go back to verse 12 and let's read there. Starting again in verse 12, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the context, verses 13 and 14 tell us more about the Father who qualifies us. And after we take a moment to marvel in the beauty of Paul's description of God's beautiful act of love towards those redeemed sinners who are saved by the gospel, it is important that we consider how these verses relate to the topic of prayer for other believers. And you could say that the truth of verse 13 reminds us that all true believers are now in God's family. They are no longer in slavery. They are no longer in slavery to Satan in the domain of darkness. And as a result, all true believers are able 
to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, even if they are currently not walking in a worthy manner. Maybe you have a loved one or a person that you know who claims to be a believer, and yet there is no evidence of their ability to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It might even cause you great frustration that no matter how many times you tell them the gospel or you exhort them with biblical truth, they just seem to be making no progress in the faith. And I'm not here to give you false hope or to tell you that I know the condition of their soul. The Lord alone knows that. But just to encourage you that the truth of verse 13 reminds us that if all true believers have been placed into God's family, walking worthy is something that they are actually able to do and something that God will help them to do. Because as I mentioned earlier, prayer is one of the means that God has ordained for the sanctification and the growth of his people. And so verse 13 is almost the guarantee. It encourages you, keep praying. Don't stop praying for other believers because your prayers actually make a difference. With that being said, verses 12 and 14 or 12 through 14 are also a beautiful summary of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what the gospel is, you've never heard it before. It is that man is separated from God because of his sin. God, who is a holy God, cannot be in the presence of sin and must punish sin with holy, righteous, and justified wrath. This is the bad news. That mankind stands condemned, trapped by sin in the kingdom of darkness and awaiting condemnation in hell for eternity. But because of God's great love, while man was sinful, outwardly and inwardly rebellious towards God, hateful towards God, God, in an act of love, the greatest act of love that ever existed, sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross as a substitution for sinners and pay the price for everyone who repents or turns from their sin and recognizes their need for a savior. Then if that person confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. They will be transferred from the grasp of Satan and his kingdom into the kingdom of Christ in whom there is forgiveness of sins. And if you are here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Christ, I plead with you, turn from your sins and place your faith in Christ that you may be qualified by God to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Before we close, I think it would be helpful just to review the three main points that we've talked about today. And I've added some questions to sort of help us do a self-assessment on how we can improve our prayer life. Number one, pray for other believers without ceasing. Regardless of the circumstances, even when things are going great as they were in the Colossian church, we see that they were bearing fruit. They were increasing. They had real love for the saints. Even though things are going great, you are never to stop depending upon God in prayer on behalf of other believers. Paul opens up by talking about the Colossians and how they had a real love for the saints. And so in order to follow in Paul's example, pray all of these things that we talked about today for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would, I, I bet we would all agree that we rejoice when somebody comes to faith in Christ and even more excited when they consistently walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And while it is wonderful that things are going well for our brothers and sisters who are thriving, 
don't let their progress be a reason to deter you from praying for their continued growth because we never stop growing. Join with Paul and praying for other believers, even those who appear to be doing well, that God may continue to sustain them for the greater glorification of his name. And so the first question we have to ask sort of based off that point is, are you consistently praying on behalf or for other believers? If you're a member of GBF, you agreed when you signed your contract to pray for the church. That includes the elders, the deacons, the staff, the ministries, the members, the people who attend. And if you are not consistently praying on behalf of others, what are the things that are keeping you from doing so? Is it a lack of desire? Is it a lack of discipline? Is it a lack of ability as in you don't know what to pray or even how to pray? Let me encourage you that it is never too late to stop or to start praying. Start with thanksgiving as Paul does in verse 3. And then as you cultivate a thankful heart, expand your prayers accordingly. I would also encourage you to come up with a system so that you can incorporate prayer for the saints in our local fellowship into your daily routine. Two, pray for other believers to be filled. Or in other words, allow the greatest influencing factor in your life to breathe the Lord and what is pleasing to him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are the things that are keeping you or the people you are praying for from being filled? Or what other controlling influences are at work directing either your life or the lives of the people you're praying for? Is it prominence in your career? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it popularity? Is it laziness? Is it discontentment? Is it greed? Is it lust? Whatever it may be, it's important that we meditate on this question because it is possible to be filled with both positive and negative controlling influences. In Luke chapter 6, when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, it says that the Pharisees were filled with rage at him. And it's not the same word in the Greek, but the concept is the same. That rage within them eventually motivated them to murder Christ. So when you pray for other believers, pray that they would be filled with the positive effects that accompany true spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then lastly, pray for other believers to walk worthy. As believers, we are called to be holy as God is holy, pleasing to him in all respects. And so the question becomes, are you asking the Lord to accomplish specific things in the lives of other believers like the four evidences we saw above? I would definitely encourage you that general prayers are still pleasing in the sight of the Lord. We know that God hears the prayers of his people. He answers the prayers of his people. And so a prayer like, Lord, bless John, Paul, Isaac, and the believers in India is still a great prayer. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer. But if you have time, if you are concerned with their ability to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, I would encourage you to pray more specifically so that you can see more clearly the hand of God at work in the midst of their lives when we get the report from Brother John Paul, such as, Lord, cause our Indian brothers and sisters to bear much fruit as they walk in obedience. Cause them to increase in the knowledge of who you are so that they might worship you more fully. Strengthen them with all steadfastness and patience to endure persecution and the trials of living a life for Christ. And cause them to joyfully give thanks to you for their inheritance of eternal life. 
In conclusion, God promises to answer when you pray according to his will. And so don't stop praying for other believers so that they may be filled and that they may be wa- uh, that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and we first express thanksgiving for who you are. God, we are so thankful that you have given us your word that we might be able to have the principles of scripture, to know what is pleasing in your sight, to know how to live a life like Christ. God, we confess that our sin causes us to be far more sinfully self-sufficient than it does to, to cause us to be dependent upon you in prayer. And so, God, we just ask for your help. Would you place within us all a desire to pray more fervently, not only for the scenarios and situations in our own life, but especially for those brothers and sisters who we know who are in various trials, who are thriving and succeeding and and doing wonderful things for the name of Christ. We pray that you would strengthen us, that you would help us to bear fruit, that you would help us to increase in the knowledge of God, and that as we cultivate a life of thanksgiving and, and cultivate a worthy walk, that you would help us to give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.